Let's stand together and let's open our Bibles to Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1. You love the Lord today? Amen. Amen. He loves you. He loves you. Colossians chapter 1 verse 15. He is the image of the invisible God. The firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. And you, who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he is now reconciled in his body of flesh, by his death, in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him, if indeed you continue in faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under, the, under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. Father, we thank you for your word today. And Father, I pray that you'd help us to uh, just capture the vision of what our calling is upon this earth, capture a vision of who Jesus is to us. And Father, just let our hearts, our minds, our bodies be alert. Help us to grow today. Help us to learn today. Help us to walk away from here with a deeper relationship with you. In Jesus' name, everybody said Years ago, when I was a youth pastor, young youth pastor, first couple years in, we brought a guy in to be a, that was an evangelist uh, to speak to our youth group. His name was uh, Denny Duran, and, and Denny was a fantastic evangelist. But uh, Denny was uh, a guy who'd grown up playing football all, all of his life. He'd, play, he'd been an all-American, an all, excuse me, an all-state football player in high school, had gone on to play at Louisiana Tech, and had played all four years at Louisiana Tech, and from there went to the World Football League, if some of you remember the old World Football League, and played there for a couple of years. And then when it closed down, he had gotten a contract to play for the Washington Redskins. And it was sometime in that, in that part of the process of his life, he'd been raised in a pastor's home, that Denny decided it was time that he was supposed to, to stop playing football, and he was supposed to come, he was supposed to start traveling to being an evangelist. He was uh, very dynamic. And still is. And so uh, Denny was with us this, the first time he was with us. And uh, we, he, was, he was still young at the time. I was still pretty young at the time. And so we got, you know, a bunch of young guys. I mean, really, you know, junior high and high school guys. And went out one day uh, to a field over by Griffin. It's where St. Agnes School's at now. It was just a field at the time. And uh, we're just going to kind of throw the ball around, play, you know, football a little bit and just kind of. Uh, be out there with a, you know, a guy who played professional football, you know, and he'd throw the ball, and he was really teaching the kids stuff and showing them things to do, and, and it was just kind of a fun, kind of a lighthearted time when about eight guys show up, 
and these eight guys come over to us. And uh, when I took a look at them, they were all bigger than our guys. They were all a year or two older than our guys that were with us. And uh, they, they wanted to play uh, football with us. And I was like, well, you know, okay. You know, we're, we're just kind of having fun here. We're, we weren't really playing hard. It was just fun. And uh, said we, and they said, yeah, that, let's let them play. So we said, okay, how, how do you want to divide the teams up? And they looked at us and they said, uh, well, you guys afraid to play us? And I'm looking at them, and I'm thinking, well, it it's, it's doesn't really look fair. I mean, they, all, they were all bigger than our guys. I mean, I felt like it was going to be, you know, not a, a fair thing. And, and then he goes, yeah, we'll be happy to play you. Now, he's been, he's been getting tackled by our guys. He's been, you know, letting them catch him. It's, it's all kinds. Of, and, and so as we're walking, he said, here, you guys kick off to us. And he threw the ball to him. And we started walking back there, and I walk over to him and said, what are we, what, how are we going to do this? And he said, hey, guys, come here. He said, just, just give me the ball. <laughs> Whatever happens, just give me the ball. And sure enough, they, they kicked the ball off to us, and one of our guys got it, and he tossed it over to Denny. And, you know, he'd been playing with us, but he kicked it into a whole other gear at that moment. And he took off and just ran right through the middle of them. And they, guys are just bouncing off of him. And he goes and scores a touchdown. And they're all kind of looking at him like, what just happened here? And so then we go down. He throws the ball down to them. So they kick it off. He just throws it down to them. And he runs down, takes the ball away from the kid who has it, and goes and scores another touchdown. So then, you know, we throw the ball back off to him again, and we go down, and we get him down, and they play a cut, and, and Denny's, you know, rushes the guy, with the, and, and the kid tries to throw the ball, and Denny tips it up in the air, catches it, and runs down, and scores a third touchdown. About the sixth touchdown that he scores in about ten minutes, I'm helping this kid up off the ground that he has just literally run over, and the kid looks at me and goes, who is he anyway? Great lesson when you're picking up teams. You always want to know who the other guys are. They didn't know who the other guy was. You know, this is a, a great thing for us to think about on Palm Sunday. Who is Jesus anyway? When you think about Jesus, what immediately pops into your mind? What are some of the important things for us to know about this guy who's on our team. Friends, you've got to realize that there are some in our world today that say that Jesus never existed. We'll talk more about that next week as we come together on Easter Sunday. There are some that will tell you that Jesus was just a good teacher. They may imply that we can't really know for sure if the things that, he, that we say he said, if he actually said them or not but that Jesus was a good teacher. There are some that will say he was some sort of revolutionary that never got off the ground. And you have the Muslims who will say that he was a prophet in the line of prophets like Moses and Samuel. And there are some of us who come to discover and come to realize that he's the Son of God. And he plays gently with us but he is an awesome power. 
that we can count on in life. This week we want to talk about who Jesus is in this sense. Who is he according to the Bible? Next week we'll talk a little bit more about the reality of the person. But we cannot be true to the Bible and see Jesus as anything less than the Son of God. That's who the, that's who the Bible proclaims Jesus to be. He is presented as one of the three distinct persons of the Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Now, it's hard for us to imagine how all that works. The Bible presents to us some truths and some things about God that, that is just hard for us to comprehend in our finite being and in our limited understanding. And it just presents them to us as this is just the way it is. This is who God is, and this is how creation works. And so what we find about the makeup of God and creation itself and how these things happen are kind of mind-blowing. And, and it's, it, one of the things that's hard for us to understand is this concept of timelessness. Yet the Bible teaches us that time itself is a creation of God. That he existed before time and rests over time and will exist after time as we know it ceases. Frankly, we don't talk about these things much on Sunday morning. We do that in our equip classes when we talk more about the doctrines of the Bible and some of those things and dig deeper into those. You know, mainly because on Sunday mornings we concern ourselves with a lot of the practical application of the Word to our lives. Today, however, when we think about who is Jesus, we need to get this comprehension that he's not just a fellow traveler, that he's not just uh, one of us, but that he is really this, the third person, of the, one, of the, one of the people of the Trinity. He is God himself. The Bible presents him as having existed in eternity past and that he will exist into eternity future as part of the all-knowing, all-powerful, all-present Godhead. That he is holy and he is pure. The Son is distinctively the manifestation of the deity that around 2,000 years ago took on the form of a human as one of us came to dwell among us and walk among us primarily for the purpose to redeem the world that was lost. To take those of you and I who are far from God, separated from God, and give us the opportunity to have relationship with God. This is how the Bible presents Jesus to us. That he is this one who is worthy of our worship and is worthy for us to follow. Now, as we look in this passage we see today, there are some key points to understand about Jesus. That as we go into this holy week and as you begin to study and think about the things that he did on this week leading up to the time when he was willingly crucified and paying the price for our sin, that he was doing things very intentionally so that, so that all the matters of the law could be met so that he could redeem us. Now here's just some things that it says that Paul writes about him in, in this passage in Colossians. He says, 
he exi- it says he existed before creation. Colossians 1.17 says, And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. So we un- begin to get this concept that Jesus was before the creation, and that in him all creation does what it does. So think of it this way. He is the law that creates the law. The law of nature that we live by, the law of our life, the reason that our hearts beat, he is the law within the law. He is the one that holds all of these things together. We sit and say, oh, by nature certain things happen, but he is the one that makes nature happen. He is the one that makes all of these things take place. Gravity works because he holds it together. Our hearts beat because he tells them to beat. Air works in our lungs because Jesus tells it to work in our lungs. All that we have is held together and is, and is kept together by the work of Jesus in our lives. All, he created all things and he holds them all together. He is before, he is during, and he is past in all time, will always be, and always has been. Here's one of the exciting things that this passage reveals to us. He is the image of God. If you want to know God, if you want to know what God's like, if you want to know how to be pleasing to God, if you want to know what it's going to be like to stand before God, if you want to know how God thinks about you, how God responds to you, all you have to do is study Jesus. Jesus is the image of God. In Colossians 1.15 it says, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. Today, this is a great revelation. He is revealed as a personal God. This isn't something you find in other religions. What we find in other religions is a distant God. What we find in other religions is many times a God we cannot know. But here when we come to Jesus, we discover that the God that we serve, the one that created us, is a personal God. He he knows you. He knows your name. He loves you. He wants the best for you. He speaks to you if you'll listen for him. He strengthens you when you come to him in times of weakness. He comforts you if you'll come to him in time of need. He encourages you when life is discouraging. And he goes with you every place you go. He's not afar off just watching us. He is Emmanuel, God with us. Jesus has opened the door for for God, the presence of the Spirit of God, to be with us at all times and in all places. He's interested in our lives, and he wants to help us in our lives. He wants to be involved with you personally. He wants you to have a personal relationship with him where it's easy for you to talk to him and where it's easy for you to sense him moving in your life. 
where in that moment of discouragement when you pour out your heart to him in a very personal way and you tell him what's going on in your life even though he knows it and you open your heart to him, you find the encouragement of the Spirit of God beginning to move in your life. When you're looking for a direction in life and you begin to call out to God and ask Him for direction, things begin to clear up in our minds. We begin to see things better. We begin to see things in alignment more perfectly because He is with us and He cares about our life. When we feel alone and we feel separated from this world, we can cry out to God and His presence will move in our life until suddenly, even though the world seems to be rejecting you, you'll feel the warm embrace of a loving God who cares about your life. This is what Jesus reveals to us. He reveals that you are not alone, that He is there, that you are not overcome, that He is there to help you, that you are not defeated. He is there to bring you victory, that life is not hopeless. He is there to lift you up out of the circumstances and that you can trust Him. This is what Jesus reveals to us about who God is. A God who wants to restore relationship with us so much that God the Son came to this earth to reveal the perfect nature of the deity to us so we can have relationship with him. Listen, this isn't supposed to be a religion that we just go and fulfill some steps and go home and kind of go through our life and hope we do the right things. This is supposed to be a relationship with the living God that we walk in every day, that we experience throughout our life, that in the weakest times in our life, in the strongest times of our life, in the brightest times of life, in the darkest times of life, we are aware of his presence and that he is with us. Listen, the, the, nobody can do that for you, friend. I just want to stop it. Nobody can do that for you. You've got to begin to seek him. He has already reached out to you. And he says, if you seek me, you'll find me when you seek me with all your heart. This passage of Scripture tells us that he created everything. Colossians 1.16 says, For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. All things, seen and unseen, are created by him. Scientifically, all things that are created have been created by him. The smallest particles of this universe were created by Jesus. And the biggest ones in this universe were created by Jesus. He walks with us so closely at times that we forget who we're walking with. That we forget the power of the one that we're walking with and the wisdom of the one that we're walking with. But friend, he can notch it up any time he wants to. He can turn it on any second he desires to. He can move forward against any force that aligns against him and they'll bounce off him like pebbles. 
He is the almighty creator. Not only did he create everything scientifically, he created every spiritual force. All the angels that stand around us to protect us, Jesus created them. And every force of the enemy, every spiritual force of the enemy that would come to addict us, to hold us down, to defeat us, to destroy us, Jesus was the creator of all of them, and in their rebellion, he can rebuke them at any moment, and they must be silent. All are created by him and through him, and all are created for him. And just like a hammer was created for a purpose, and a truck is created for a purpose, and a freezer is created for a purpose, and a chair is created for a purpose, you were created for a purpose. There's a reason for your life. Now, in simple terms, in the easiest terms, in the broadest terms you can, you, we can express this in, we were created to worship him. <laughs> we were created to stand in awe of him and worship him. That's why it's one of the reasons we take time every Sunday morning to come in here and worship him. And I, I want to encourage you to come in here on Sunday morning and be serious about that. To come and say, you know, this is a time where we get together together with the community of believers and there's a right way to express thanks to God and to honor God and to stand in awe of him. We're going to sing the right words and say the right things. The worship team is going to make sure that the words are doctrinally sound and they're going to make sure that the music is music we can sing along with and we're going to express with our breath, with our uplifted hands, with our clapping of our hands, with the lifting of our hands, we're going to express praise and worship to God. Because he's worthy. That's what we're created for. But in, in, a, in a closer sense, what does that really look like in our life? It means we are to love God and express that love to him. And we express that love to him through obedience to him. When we obey him and trust him with our lives. We are to love others and to be used of God to bless others. This is where in the world it gets absolutely turned around. The world and the sin nature says, serve me, take care of me, get things for me. It's all about me. That's the sin nature trying to suck up all it can, even though it can never be satisfied. The Christ nature that he reveals to us is that we are to serve others that we are to use the gifts and the talents and the resources that we have to be a blessing to others. And in that, that we show the glory of God. Listen, the world's supposed to work, friends. The world's supposed to work. We're supposed to be able to celebrate with each other. We're supposed to be able to love each other. We're supposed to be able to walk in harmony with each other. We're supposed to be able to be people that, that friends, that, that see each other with loving eyes instead of the world that we have today. We're supposed to have great patience with each other. It's our selfishness that drives us another way. It's the heart of Christ that drives us back to this loving and serving others. When we do that because God is good, 
He fills us with his presence. The world is a better place for us. We have balance and understanding in our lives about the difficulties that we face and the issues of life and even the good things that come our way. It all begins to get balanced because we understand that what God gives me or what circumstances I walk through, I walk through them with the purpose of giving glory to him, of blessing him and loving him and serving others. It's a mindset change. And we begin to experience his presence when we do that as we will in heaven. This passage tells us that he is the reconciler. 1 Corinthians 1.19 For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. And through him to reconcile to himself all things whether on earth or in heaven making peace by the blood of his cross. And you who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds. He is now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. This is one of the first things we've got to come to face with when we think about the nature of God and who God is, that we were at one time alienated from God. Until you surrender your life to Christ, until you ask him into your life to be your Lord, until you put your faith in him to be your Savior, until you look to the cross and realize that he went to the cross to shed his blood for you because you were alienated from God and you need to ask him into your life. Until you do that, we are separated from God and alienated from God. What does this mean? That means partially that our minds are not in line with God's thinking or will. Our minds are hostile to God's way. Our minds are hostile to the very things of God. We don't think right and see right because the sin nature in us drives us toward selfishness. And so here we come, alienated from God, not thinking the right way. And we did things because our thinking was bad. We have done things, every one of us have. We have done things that have caused harm to others and caused harm to our relationship with God. Every one of us, alienated, separated from God. In a place where only the judgment of God is what we deserve. But in this, God offers us peace through Jesus. The only way you can have peace with God is through Jesus. He is the reconciler. He is the one that comes and fixes our problem. Reconciliation is offered through Jesus' death on the cross. He came and paid the price for our alienation, our sin, on the cross so that the door could be open that we can have relationship with God now, that our minds can be made whole, that our actions can be made right, that we can be transformed. He is the firstborn of the church. What does that mean? When he was resurrected from the grave, friend, he became the first 
of this new kingdom of people who would follow after Christ. He, he was, as he was raised from the grave, he became the author of life in the kingdom itself, the firstborn of the church, so that anyone who would put their faith in him could be born again and come into the kingdom of God and begin to live not by the law of this world, but by the very nature of God dwelling in us. He's our hope in all of these things. He is the object of our faith. Listen, (laughs) our faith isn't in the church. Our faith is in Jesus who rules the church. Our faith isn't in some religious action. Our faith is in Jesus who, who inhabits our righteous actions. He is the one all of our faith rests in. You don't want to put your faith in any singer. You don't want to put your faith in any pastor, me included. You want to put your faith in one name. Our faith is in Jesus. As, I, as Paul said, as I follow Christ, follow me as I follow Christ. If I stray from Christ, keep your eyes on Christ. Some person in the church, you're following them, they're making a big impression on you. As long as they're following Christ, follow them. If they stray from Christ, don't get discouraged. Oh, the church has failed me. No, 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 no. A person's failed you. Jesus is still Jesus. Keep your eyes on Jesus. Somebody does, oh, I'm so bitter at the church. I'm mad. I'm not going to church anymore because, you know, God, God, this person did this. You're not supposed to be looking at that person. You're supposed to be looking at Jesus. People, we, we will fail each other. We'll mess up from time to time. We'll we'll blow it. And we need each other to call us back into righteous thinking and righteous action. And we need to keep our eyes on Jesus. He is the object of our faith. Him and Him alone do we trust and do we follow. We, We seek after Him. If indeed you continue in faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, of which I Paul became a minister. What does this mean to us today? Do we simply say we believe in Jesus and go our merry way? Oh, I believe in him. I can continue doing whatever I want to do because I put my faith in him. By no means. Remember, our minds are hostile towards God and our acts are evil. The purposeful actions of rebellion are what evil is all about. How do we receive the work of faith? How do we walk steadfastly in this walk of faith? By following Jesus, by becoming obedient to Jesus. If Jesus says our words are meant to praise him and to glorify him, not to be crude, not to be filled with anger, not to be filled with divisiveness, not to be filled with destruction, then I need to clean up my language and make sure that my language is right. If my view of how I see people is not supposed to be filled with pride or arrogance or lust, then I need to get the thinking of my mind right. I need to recognize that my mind's hostile, and I need to surrender it to Jesus. I need to look at every action of my life and say, how do I bring this in alignment with what Jesus would tell me to live my life? He's the Son of God. He is the Reconciler. 
He's the one that created us and holds us together. He is the image of God. We can trust Jesus. So let us put our faith in him. In Colossians chapter 2, it says this, For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells, and you have been filled in him who is the head of, of all rule and authority. In him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith and the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead, and you who were dead in your trespasses and uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him. Praise God, having forgiven us all of our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over him. That's what Jesus did for us. Amen. Listen, we were dead in our trespasses. We were separated from God in our trespasses. That's what death means. It means separate. We were separated from, our, from God in our trespasses. We had a legal debt to pay that we couldn't pay. And Jesus came, the firstborn, the firstborn of this new creation. He came and allowed himself to die on the cross for us, his blood to be shed so that that legal that legal debt would be canceled and our sin would be forgotten and we could now walk in the fullness of the understanding of God because of what Jesus did for us. Amen. Praise God, friends. Give the Lord a clap offering for that. When you cry out to Jesus, the second you cry out to him, the moment any person lifts their voice and says, Jesus, come into my life, I want you, I need you. I recognize who I am and I recognize who you are. The Bible promises us that everyone who calls on his name will be saved. Everyone who calls on his name will be saved. Well, Pastor, you don't understand how bad I am. No, I, I may not, but I do, I do have a, I am beginning to understand more and more about how good Jesus is. And Jesus is so much better than any of us can be bad that there's no comparison. If you cry out to Jesus, if you lift your voice to him, he promises that you'll be saved. And you get this circumcision of the heart, of the spirit. What, what's that mean? The, the old is cut away. This heart, this heart that mind and spirit that didn't think right and didn't feel right and didn't act right. 
begins to get infused with new life. We are made alive in him. Our spirits become alive in him. And suddenly we begin to get convicted of things that we used to do that we thought were okay. We get driven towards things that we should do that we weren't interested in before because the circumcision of heart lets us see different. We see people different. We see racials, races differently. We see people's pride differently. We see everything. Things begin to change because we're made alive in Jesus. Has that happened to you? Have you had that moment where things begin to turn a corner and the deep recesses of your heart, the issues of your life begin to become exposed to you before God? And he says, no more of this. No more of this. You're going to love people now. No more selfishness. You're going you're to serve people now. You're going to give to people now. This, this is not about you. It's not about your position. It's not about your power. It's about following Jesus. You're in his kingdom now. Has that happened to you? Listen, this, pa- this passage talks about baptism. A key work of baptism is new freedom over the flesh. You not only symbolically go into the grave with him, you spiritually go into it with him. You not only symbolically are raised when you're baptized out of the death, you are spiritually raised in power with him. This isn't simply about a Christian getting wet This is about a spiritual act that Jesus established, that the Word of God establishes, that breaks holds of the flesh on our life, that proclaims into the heavenlies who we are, that shouts out to the world that we are now followers of Christ. It's a serious moment. This is an intentional process in your life. You are proclaiming to your flesh, to your friends, and to the heavenlies that you put your faith in him. Baptism says, I now belong to Jesus. My faith is in him. And God, God makes us alive in him. This is why some are not baptized in the Holy Spirit. Some don't have the gift of the Holy Spirit in their life because they've never followed the Lord in water baptism. This is why some still struggle with victories. Some still struggle with feelings of guilt because they've never seriously come to the moment of baptism and said, I walk here today to spiritually say, I am dead to myself, and I'm alive to Christ. And they, walk, they don't walk into it with that serious intention of baptism. And the guilt remains. This is why some who, after being born again, still carry bitterness because they've never followed the Lord in obedience and baptism. This is why some Christians still carry jealousy because they've never submitted their flesh in obedience to the simple spiritual act of baptism. This is why why some 
some, some have not been brought in the fullness of victory in Christ. You've not been brought, you've not brought them in faith to baptism. Listen, I'm going to tell you, it's no, it's no joke. Baptism can simply be getting wet. It can just be simply somebody coming up and going through a religious act. And it can mean nothing. It can simply be an act of your parents' desire. Prince, listen to me. I want to call to you. Some of you in this room, you've never been baptized in water because, oh, I was, my parents baptized me when I was a baby. That was an act of your parents' will. I'm not going to say it was bad. That was an act of their will. Baptism is not an act of your parents' will. Baptism needs to be an act of your will, of your action. It's not that your parents were following Christ. It's now you're following Christ. It's you coming to be set free. Some of you, maybe you were baptized as a, as a young teenager. You weren't even born again at the time. And you've lived far from God for many years. Now you've come to Christ. And you're sitting there going, oh, I was baptized when I was 12. But it didn't mean anything to you. You know, it was a fun night that night, maybe. Everybody was excited. But it wasn't you really following Christ. Now, I want to tell you, if that's the case, baptism can be a pivotal moment in, fa- in the faith of a child of God. Be a pivotal moment where I come to this moment of my free will and I say to my spirit, you're now submitted to Jesus. I'm dead to myself and I live for him. I want to be a full part of the body of Christ. I want to be fully his. I want to follow him in baptism. So you've raised your hand. You've responded to an altar call. You you say you're a believer, but have you followed him in baptism? And if you haven't, then I want to challenge you today. I want to challenge you today. We have these cards. We gave them out to you. I have one here someplace. can't find it. Fill it out before you go. Circle a date on there, which date works good for you. And let's get, let's get baptized. Amen. Let's come spiritually. Start to prepare your heart for that. Start to think about it. This week as you go through Holy Week, start to think about all that Jesus has done for you. And say, you know what? I want the bitterness of my life. I want it to be set free. I want the, I want the abuse from my, the, the, the things that abuse caused in my past. I want to be set free from that. I don't, want to be a, I don't want to be a creature of this world anymore. I don't want to be a creature of the flesh anymore. I want to be a creature of the Spirit of God in me and I'm taking my flesh to baptism to die in Christ that I might rise with him this is the call friends for freedom in your life and I want to challenge you today if you've never made that step no matter how long you've been around come and make that step rulers and authorities over our lives are put to shame when we put our faith in Jesus and when we follow him in baptism it breaks spiritual strongholds in our life so we can be free and alive in Jesus Christ. Well, let's stand together today and pray. Can we, friends? Prayer teams, would you come down here?
I've gotten excited and letting time get away with me a little bit. Oh, Lord, I just pray that we wouldn't come to the waters of baptism as a religious act, that we would come looking for a spiritual freedom that comes when we follow you in baptism. And so, Lord, I I pray for anyone here today who's not done that since they were born again, that, Father, today they would make that choice to follow you. Let us realize all that Jesus has done for us and that we're made alive in him. And let us look deep in our heart and ask ourselves, have we let the full work of your spirit work in our lives? Are we still holding on to things? Father, the enemy whispers in our ear, hey, that's okay. That's not so bad. And he calls us to death when you call us to life. Oh, Lord, in Jesus' name, do a work inside of us today, I pray. Every head bowed, every eye closed for just a moment. You'll say, Pastor, today I, I need to ask Christ in my life. Here's what I'm asking you to do. I'm asking you to do something very simple. Jesus went to the cross for you. He died on the cross for you. He says everyone who calls on his name will be saved. So I'm asking you today to respond to that call. To respond to the call of Jesus to surrender your life to him. I'm asking you to to respond to that just by simply right now. Raise your hand saying, Pastor, I want to ask Christ into my life today. I want to do that today. Just raise your hand right now and say, Pastor, pray for me today. I'm asking you to do that right this second. Yes, I see that hand and I see that hand. Others today, you'll raise your hand and say, Pastor, pray for me today. I want to ask Christ into my life to be my Savior today. I'm looking across this building for anyone else today. Bless the Lord. Anyone else? This moment where your life, you put your trust in Him and you follow Him is the most important moment in your life. Is there anyone else who say, Pastor, I need to ask Christ into my life today? Bless the Lord. Let's all pray this prayer together. Father, I come to you in Jesus' name. And I ask you to forgive me of my sin and to cleanse me from all unrighteousness. I receive Jesus as the Savior of my soul. I put my trust in Jesus to be the Lord of my life. Now I ask you to help me to live for him who died for me. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Hey, make make this week a serious week. Make it a week where you take 10 or 15 minutes by yourself or with your family to really think about what Jesus has done for you. Come together with us on Saturday night, excuse me, on Friday night as we Look at Good Friday, solemn service. Come that night ready to consider what Jesus said on the cross to us. To receive communion as a body together. To go home and talk with family about it. Make this a week of 
where we really recognize all that Jesus has done for us. And then do something else this week. People's eternity weigh in the balance of whether they receive Christ. Yes, you will have people thank you and not come. You'll have people tell you they don't go to church. You'll have people tell you all kinds of things. But you may run across a few who come. And as we're inviting people, so pick up a lot of those cards, take them. I'd love to see all of them gone before the end of the day. Mail them to people. Go see people. Invite people. Do everything you can this week. And then let's be praying. God, let people get saved next weekend. Amen? What a great week we've got. If you raised your hand for salvation, I'm asking you to do one more thing. Step out and come to this altar and let somebody pray with you. If you have any other need in your life, if you have any other need in your life, come down and let somebody pray with you. And if you have been baptized, put your name on that card, put some information on there, hand it the information, but drop it in the black box as you go out, and we'll talk to you about water baptism. Let's worship the Lord before we go.